0: Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Daniel: Peace in the Lion's Den. We are going to be in chapter six, and uh, Daniel is a special book. It's many ways. Uh, One of the ways it makes it very interesting. It's divided right directly in half. Two different types of genre, if you will, as far as literature is concerned. The first six chapters are is uh, uh, dialogue, basically narrative story of the Daniel's life. Takes us all the way from where he's a teenager in chapter one all the way to chapter six, which is we find Daniel in his 90s. And then starting chapter 7 all the way through chapter 12, the next six chapters are these visions that occurred during those na- those years, the teenage all the way to 90 years old, the experiences that he had, the things that God had taught him, the, the, the visions that he received, the dreams that he had, and the interpretations in some cases of those dreams. We're not going to be getting to every last one of those things because they're just super complicated. It's almost like a study of the book of Revelation. And uh, we don't have time for that, but, but Daniel is incredibly important. We're going to be hitting some of the highlights of those things. Nonetheless, we're going to be in chapter 6. But b- before we do, I've got a little video to show you. And if, cut, if somebody could cut the lights here and we'd run the video. Filmed on South Padre Island last Wednesday um, at a, an undisclosed location. No, I think it's Portugal, not that. That was filmed on South Padre Island. Hang on, here we go. got this surfer dude in here, but he's, got, he's getting towed in. You imagine paddling out as a surfer into that. You can't do it, but he gets what's it, what they call towed in. We're going to see it here right in just a second. There he goes. What a big dummy. <laughs> Is he going to survive? Ooh, here's the, oh, oh, oh. He makes it out. I watched that video. Thank, thank you guys. We can turn the lights back on. I watched that video this past week. And studying the book of Daniel and studying the story of the life of Daniel, and that's a good, good short illustration of what what, what was life like for Daniel. There, there you go, right there. <laughs> Guy was in in trouble, in peril his entire life, and yet he, at the end here, and, and all the way through, honestly, but especially at the end, you get this sense of just such a peaceful man, just such a person of peace and such at peace with with what's happening in his life and what God God is doing and not doing for him, whatever the circumstances may be. Uh, Riding the wave, he rode the wave of two major administrations, two of the largest kingdoms that this world has ever seen to date. First, the Babylonian kingdom under King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful men that has ever lived. And then at the hostile takeover, we read about in the previous chapter, chapter 5 last time, uh, and the kingdom was converted in a night from the root, the kingdom of Babylonia to the kings and the Medes and Persians, and he comes to be under the kingship or under the under the leadership of a guy by the name of Cyrus. So Cyrus the Persian and King Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian, to the greatest men to the greatest regimes that have ever existed, even to this day, and Daniel surfs all of it. Rides all of it in many cases to the top in both administrations. So we pick up the story here of uh, the conversion from Babylonia to, to Persia and the situation here beginning in verse one of chapter six. It says and it seemed good to Darius. Now Darius is a title, not a name. Some might people have difficulty with this chapter, and we don't really know who Darius is. No one knows who Darius is. Uh, but the an- here's the, here's part of the answer, or I can't be dogmatic about it. But the answer partly is contained in the fact you understand that the name Darius is not actually a name it's actually a title they gave to their kings like we give all our presidents the title of president president Bush president Obama president you know president this president they all get titles that's a title they gave to their king every pharaoh in Egypt got the title pharaoh but they had another name underneath it we don't we're not giving this guy's name we don't know who he is Uh, a good assumption I would suggest to you is that this is Cyrus the Persian he is, he's named a little bit later in the chapter, and it does say that it does seem to say that it was in conjunction with Darius, but I think they're one and the same guy. Anyway, like I said, it can't be dogmatic. Nonetheless, he's a big guy. Let's just say that. So uh, Darius, it says, appoints 120 satraps over the kingdom. You remember, there's been a non-hostile takeover. They basically take the city without firing a shot. Uh, the handwriting on the wall was against the king, uh, the Babylonian king. They lost the kingdom in a night. Uh, everything has been flipped. All the leaders have been killed. Daniel was not a leader at that time. He was in in retirement, and so he's not taken out. But they find out that he's a smart guy. He does know how the kingdom works. Uh, He rises to, and of course, he's a great guy. And so let's keep reading. That they should be in charge of the whole kingdom over them, that is, over all these 120 satraps, three commissioners over the whole kingdom, one of them, it says, was Daniel. And these satraps might be accountable to them, that is to the king, and that the king might not suffer loss. And then this Daniel began to distinguish himself. So of the three, Daniel begins to shine. Not surprised, are we? Definitely not. Among the commissioners and satraps, because he possesses an extraordinary spirit, the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. He's pushing 90, y'all. So he's set to become prime minister over the entire kingdom of the Medes and Babylon, everything from India all the way to Greece, all the way to North Africa. This guy is set to be prime minister over all that. By the way, it won't be his first ride in that. Remember, he's been riding this way before. This guy is something else. He's sharp. Uh, he, like I said, in his 90s nonetheless. Uh, he's just this awesome character. The king recognizes leadership. He recognizes dependability. If you've been down that road a couple of times and you've been bit hard uh, going the wrong way, you know when you come across a good person. He knows that Daniel is an awesome guy. And so, of course, jealousy arises. The commissioners, the other ones, other than Daniel, the other two, and the 120 satraps began trying to find grounds of accusation against Daniel. Why would they do that? Well, he's a foreigner, he's a Jew. Everybody else is Persian or Medes. Daniel gets put into this position. He gets brought up because he happens to know something about the previous administration and the administration of the entire former Babylonian kingdom. And so he gets moved up. So they're a bit wary of him, jealous of him. And then now the king is given hints that he's going to move him into prime minister position. They don't like that. So they do what anybody does who's selfish, selfishly bent. They try to get rid of him. They bring an accusation against Daniel, it says, but they could not find that that grounds of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence, notice none, or corruption was found to be in him. Then these men said, what shall we find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God? So that's amazing. If you've lived your entire career in the public eye and you're 90, still working in that career, And they can go through all of your files, and all of your meetings, and all of your conversations, and all of your relationships, and everything you've ever done, and they can't find one piece of dirt to rub your nose in. This is a faithful guy. You haven't had one cross word. One thing you've done wrong. One mistake. I mean, wow! What a blessed individual! What a what an incredible guy! And they can't find a single thing against him except for the fact that he sold out to his God. If we have a chance of getting him, they're saying we're going to get him in the area that he will not compromise with his relationship with his God. Now that says a lot about this man. Would to God that we could say they could say the same things about us? Isn't that right? We get confused sometimes on why some people's lives seem to be blessed even though they go through difficult times. We all go through hard times. We all have troubles. We all have issues. Even though, even though their lives are in the midst of a curse, they still seem charmed in the midst of it. They still seem at peace in the midst of it and we get confused of how that happens and, and I just want to remove the confusion, the whole aura of confusion off of it. It's not rocket science, guys. Daniel does two things and he does, it, he does them well. Number one, he keeps his nose clean. Number two, he remains faithful to God. He doesn't waver on that. He doesn't do anything else. Let's all the chips fall however they make. From the very beginning, we find this young man along with his friends, teenagers, that just simply said, you know, whether we live or die, we're not eating the king's food because it's been sacrificed to idols. And that is against the rules of our God. So kill us if you got to do it. But this is what we're doing. Boom, they get moved up. The king's going to kill a bunch of them because they can't interpret his dream. He says, well, whether I live and die, give me a chance. We'll go in and interpret the dream. Boom, he gets moved up. They get, they get put in front of an idol. Say, so bow down to the idol or you die. Whether we live or die, that is the decision of our God. Our God is able to rescue us, but nevertheless, we will not bow down to your idol, O king. Boom, again. Boom, boom. All the way through, you see this faithfulness of this man. Again, it's not rocket science. He did two things. He kept his nose clean, and he honored God with his life, and he would not compromise on these things. And God moved him. God blessed him. Where is God in your life today? What position does he hold? Is his relationship with you as dusty as the Bible that you own? Are you determined to obey him, or do you own or do your own thing? Do you actually trust him? Are you willing to, to, to put him first and let, him, let the chips fall? Let him be what he's supposed to be in your life, what, 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 he's, what he needs to be, what you need him to be in your life. Does not mean you won't have problems? I mean, what was the cause of Daniel's problems in this story? This is the story of the lion's den. He gets thrown there. The cause of his problem is his faithfulness to God. Sometimes it happens that way. I've been faithful to you, God, and you're allowing this stuff to happen. Yeah, read the Bible; that happens. But I, I want you to know something: problems and trouble come either way. You got to decide; it's going to come either way. You got to decide which side you're going to fall on. Trouble's coming. Make sure that when trouble does come, that it comes. That the, when wrong comes, make sure it comes for the right reasons in your life. That makes sense. That's what's happening with Daniel. Wrong is definitely coming. It's going to come to you. There's no escaping wrong. But make sure it comes to the right reasons and so that when it, the things shake out that God is your protector and doesn't have to be your adversary. Please don't put God in a place like that. He doesn't want to be in a place like that in your life. So we keep reading here. They're looking for a way to set him up. And they said, the only way we're going to get him is through his faithfulness to God. These commissioners, verse six, and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius lived forever. This is something you had to say to the kings back then. You just didn't say, hey, king, what's up? You didn't say that live forever he had to say that even though we all know he's not going to live forever but still it's like a wish all the commissioners of the kingdom mark that word right there all because that's not true they're lying to him the prefects and the satraps and the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and a force and he's right now sitting with his arms crossed saying i don't got to do this then they hit him with the story in injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days. In other words, they're saying, we want you to be king for a month. Oh, well, I was kind of thinking about that myself. They caught him in a position of pride, didn't they? Caught him with two things here, two things that happened to a lot of us that mess us up. Number one, he put him in a position where the, everybody is saying, if you hear that, if you ever hear that, you know, everybody's saying, well, if you hear that, know this. They ain't. Everybody's not saying. They haven't consulted everyone. If they have to say that to you, but some people just say it nonchalantly. Other people saying it because they're trying to twist your arm or put you in a position that you're going to regret. That's what's happening with Darius. He gets to be a king for a month and a fool for a day. They're, they're putting him in a position of that. He doesn't see it because of the second, second ploy they pull on him. First of all, everybody's saying, which isn't true, because what, what, first of all, we know there are only three commissioners and they just say that that all the commissioners have been consulted. We know for a fact Daniel was not consulted because it's aimed at him. So everybody is not saying, everybody never is saying. So please the first when you ever hear that, automatically you should walls should just go up. Okay, end of conversation. Thank you for telling me that. Everybody they're trying to put you in a position where you're gonna do something? No. No thanks. Everybody's not saying, so thanks for lying to me to begin with, and we're gonna move on. <laughs> thanks for telling me where you stand. So, so, so first of all, that doesn't happen to him because they hit him with the second one. Like I said, it, it's easier for us to sit back and analyze, but it's hard when you're going through this situation. And so we're not, I'm not trying to slight King Darius here necessarily. They appeal to his pride. I don't know about you, but I have a problem with pride. I just do. It's always waiting for me. I mean, not today. I think I'm doing pretty good right now. And that's part of my pride problem. I, I think I'm doing good. You know, <laughs> they gave me, a, they gave me a pen, you know, for my humility and, and they took it away when I put it on, you know, kind of thing. The Babylonians come, they come with this, this pride issue. Hey, how about you being God for 30 days? How about that? Babylonians, all pagan religions always had gods that were just like us. How how is it possible that a man can be a God? Well, all their gods were like human beings because they had created them. They had their same, they had our same faults. Same sin, same capriciousness, same volatility. All man-made gods are just like that. The reason why we make them because we want them to be like us, because we want to somehow think that we could be like them. So they make their own gods. And so, yes, if you're making your own gods, then I guess you can be a god for a day or a month or a year or the rest of your life, whatever you want to be. It was true for the Babylonians. It was true for the Medes and Persians. It was true for Pharaoh. They all considered the Egyptians. They all considered their kings. The Caesars, all of them considered their kings to be as gods. In some cases, they required, in this case, they would set aside all gods for the sake of the single god, if you will, in their lives, which was this physical manifestation, supposedly, of their gods, uh, this king. But let me just say this. If if your theology lets you be God, that you have a problem. And if your theology lets you be a god for only 30 days, you have a real problem. Like, you can opt in and out of this your theology is so loose on the definition of what God is that you can just come in and out of it. Crazy stuff. I don't know if some of you were here, some of you weren't. Back in the winter, we had a guy here in church and a guy in the community here. And I know he may still be here claiming to be Jesus. You remember Mark, you pointed out, he, he came here in our services and we had to ask him to leave because he was literally disrupting. I mean, we don't mind crazy people coming. We got half a room full of crazy people, right? There's some <laughs> people over there, over there. Over here. But... But if you're going to disrupt, we're going to have to ask you to leave. We'll come to find out this guy believed with his whole heart that he was Jesus. And the reason why he believed that he was Jesus is because he was homeless and so was Jesus. And so that's how, I and mean, that's all he had as far as lining up with Jesus. Otherwise he had kind of a weird life, uh, best we can tell. The, but but here, here's the deal. His theology was a theology that says that Jesus was only a man. And I will say to you, if Jesus was only a man, then I guess I can be Jesus, and you can be Jesus too. This guy had figured himself to be Jesus because in his theology, Jesus was only a man. Again, that that can be your theology. I will say very clearly, it's not a biblical theology. The biblical theology says that if you're God, if Jesus was only a man, then you're going to die and go to hell. Very simply. If Jesus is the man that hung on a cross and bled for our sins, turns out to only be a man, even a righteous man, That means, as a man, he can only die for one of us. So who gets to go? The rest of us can't. Our sins can't. It's just one-for-one exchange. You have a limited man dying for another limited man or a limited woman, and everybody else goes to hell. On the other hand, if he was, as the Bible says, both a man and the unlimited God dying on the cross, then he could die for an unlimited number of sins and sinners. You follow me? That's what the Bible teaches that's why it's significant. It's not, it's not a small thing that Jesus was virgin born or whether he wasn't or that he was actually God and man. It's not a small, it's not an issue that we can vacillate on. It's a difference between in the hot place for all of us or most of us except for one of us or, or possibility of having heaven for all the sinners who place their faith in God's son as he's taught in the scriptures. So again, if your theology has Jesus as being only a man, as do the Mormons, as do the Jehovah's Witness then yes, you can be God too for 30 days or however long you want to be. You're no different than these pagans who believe the same thing. It's a pagan thio- thought, and it's a man-made religion with man-made gods. So let's keep going. Verse 9. Verse 9. Oh, yes. So they come. <laughs> Established, we didn't read all of it, did we? Verse 7. So they come with this idea. Here's the... Here's the 30 days being king now. O king, verse 8, establish the injunction and sign the document. Sign it today. You feel good about it, sign it. Man, it's a good idea. We all, we all have everyone saying that you need. we think you'd be an awesome God. And he was, like I said, thinking, man, yeah, I thought kind of thinking the same thing about myself. And so they did not be revoked, verse 9, therefore the king, Jerry signed the document that is the injunction. And so Darius gets swept away in this emotion de- emotional deal, and uh, they were counting on that. So well, what could go wrong? I get to be God for 30 days. Let's give it a shot. It lapses. It's got a 30-day life. So let's say things go wrong 10 days into it. We only have 20 days left. No big deal, right? there there is a there is a halt though in in this conversation they they've stated it here sort of nonchalantly off to the side this whole issue of the law of the Medes and the Persians the Medes and the Persians were very slow to make laws because unlike the Babylonians like king Nebuchadnezzar who was an absolute despot which means an absolute despot just simply means that i can make up the rules however i can say that the world is flat i can say that it's round i can say that it's purple i can say that you're all dead i can say you're all alive No one can stop me. I can make laws today. I can revoke them tomorrow. That's an absolute despot. The the Medes and Persians didn't have that kind of power. Their kings didn't have that kind of power. Once they they were powerful, you didn't want to mess with them. And by the way, these guys are messing with them. They're going to get thrown in the lion's den because they're messing with King Darius. But once a law was made by any of their kings, even the king was subject to the law. That's hopefully the way we're doing it here in these United States as well. Rule of law, not rule of kings, not rule of men. So they had sort of the same principles, not, necess- not for sure, not a democracy, but nonetheless, sort of that idea. So a little bit halting in making those kind of decisions. But this one had a lapse. was it wasn't permanent. Written into the law was it starts and it ends in 30 days. So, you know, what could go wrong? Well, like I said, he's going to get to be God for 30 days and fool a big fool for one of those days. Because really what's going down here and what you need to understand is they're pulling all this off in one day. So let's say they're going, they're going to talk to the king at nine o'clock in the morning and they're planning on catching Daniel about noon. Let's read what happens, verse 10. It says, now what Daniel knew that the document was signed, notice he's one of the main commissioners. There's no way he could not have known. He was just not a part of the conspiracy because obviously the conspiracy was against him. Notice he doesn't go march into the king and say, hey, they're trying to get me. Doesn't defend himself. He just keeps doing what he's been doing. Notice he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously for years. They were confident that they were going to be able to catch him with regards to his honoring of his God, because this is something you could find Daniel at a place, a certain place, three times a day, without exception, unless he happened to be out of town. Daniel was going to be on his knees, facing Jerusalem honoring his god praying on behalf of himself and praying on behalf of the people and praying on behalf of the babylonians the persians whoever was in the kingdom it made no it made difference to him he was going to do that by the way what's directly against the injunction the king had just signed at nine o'clock so they catch him at noon doing what the king said don't do these men it says verse 11 came by agreement and found daniel making a petition and supplication before his god it says and so they sign it at nine, they catch him at noon. Now there's sometime in the afternoon after 12 in front of the king saying, King, we caught somebody. They weren't surprised. The king was though. Listen, if somebody forces you to do something, if somebody comes in, just a word of advice and leadership or making good decisions, somebody comes in and says, listen, you need to do this right now. Let's do it right now. Come on, come on, come on. Let's, let's get it done. This is important. It's necessary. And, and all everybody's saying, you need to do this. If, and it's easy for you to say and hard to do, but I, but let me just say this to you and maybe it'll, maybe it will ring back in your ears the next time this happens. Please call somebody. What was the show where you could do a shout out? You got three choices and one of them was a shout out to somebody walking on the street. Do a shout out, please call somebody and not, and, and here's the person that you call, not a person like you, but a person that's not like you. And not a person who you know can give wise advice, but a person who actually has lived that way. Not just give advice, but has lived their own advice. Call that person. And you're in an emotional state. They're pushing you hard. Things have got to be done. You've got to do it right now, right now, right now. You've got to get it all done. Let me give a phone call to my friend. And, and that friend is that quality of person who's been walking with God and living the life, not just t- giving advice, but living the advice. And that person, whatever that person tells you to do, that's what you need to do. And they may just say, you know, we don't know enough, so don't make a decision. That's not a bad decision. Not a bad decision. A lot of times, you and I get in trouble because we get pushed. Because people know that if they push us, push us, push us, we'll not have the time to pray, not have the time to think. So, of course, you shouldn't be making a decision like that. But they push us, push us, push us. Well, Darius doesn't take the time. Of course, he doesn't know to pray because he's this pagan guy nonetheless. So so the situation is they put him in this bad position. He should have consulted, but now they've got him cornered, and especially they've got Daniel cornered. Verse 12, they approached and spoke to the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast in the lions' den. the end. The king said, you know, effectively, why are you in here? We just talked about that. We just signed this today. Yes, indeed. The statement is true. According to the law of Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king with a little sly smile on their face. Daniel, who is one of the exiles, not among us, you see, one of these foreigners from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petitions three times a day. So they've caught him, if you will. So so like I said, it's been pulled off all in one day. And Daniel intentionally, knowing the signing of the document, intentionally goes and breaks the signing of the document or breaks the rules. Is there ever a time that Christians should break the rules? Does it not say in the scriptures that we should obey the laws of the land? It says 55, should you draw 55? Well, I know it's hard, especially on the bridge, right? But you should obey the laws of the land. But is there ever a time in which God says it's okay to break the laws? There is. Here's when it is. When the laws of the land cause you to violate the laws of God. That's when you break them. That's the only time you break them. Make sure that's the only time you're breaking them because otherwise you're just breaking them for your own sin and you shouldn't expect God to defend you in that. Make sure that when you, like I said, when things go wrong, and they will, when traps are set, and they are set, that you're caught in traps that, that only catch the righteous people. They set a trap that's only going to catch Daniel. Everybody else is yellow, yellow-bellied, weak-backed, no, no backbone. They know no matter how committed they are to any God, they're not that committed. They're going to do what the king says. We're going to pray to the king for the next 30 days, and then it'll be over. Daniel, no. They knew it. They catch only the righteous. The traps are set for sure. Make sure you're only caught in the ones that catch the righteous and not everybody else. So when Christians disobey, yes, when the laws of the land cause us to violate the laws of God. Daniel was a life of peace. So he hears this law and that anyone who breaks this law gets thrown in the lion's did, And by the way, they didn't have the same court system that we have, appeals and all that kind of stuff. When they enacted a, a death penalty, the death penalty was carried out before sunset. So if it happened at three, you got until six. If it happened at nine, you got until six. It happened at noon, like it does here, you got until six and then you are gonna be dead. Daniel seemingly doesn't care. He goes straight in and begins to pray completely at peace with the situation. God's in charge. God is good. God has been carrying my life these 90 years. I trust him. Complete trust in him. If I live today, so be it. If I die today, so be it. But I'm going to honor God with my life. What a man of God. What a man of peace in the midst of all kinds of turmoil. Notice God does not take away his problems. In fact, if anything, his faithfulness to God is his problem. But God gave him peace in the midst of his problems. Peace, as someone said, is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. If you're looking for peace in this life, it's not here, guys. There's no peace here. There's no peace for the wicked, and there's no peace in a land controlled by the wicked. It's not going to happen. Peace comes through the presence of God. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be wrong. There's no way around it. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. There's no way around it. Heaven is going to be special because it's going to be absent from these things. But this is not heaven. So don't expect it to be. So, But in the midst of all these things, God's presence is the peace. God's presence is the peace. Another reason for his peace in his life is because Daniel was so consistent in his prayer life. These guys do where they could find him three times a day. Never fail. Daniel's going to be in his room with his windows open to Jerusalem, and he's going to be praying, and they've known him to be this for years. That's why they could be so certain that if we get the king to sign it at 9, Daniel will be dead at 6 because he's that faithful of a person to his God. Why was he a man of peace? Why was he a man that experienced peace? Because he didn't do 9-1-1 praying. Nothing wrong with that. That wasn't his consistent prayer life. I Don't think, don't think for a second as he's going to the lion's den here that he's not praying to God. 9 right? one Not right? Not, not an escape mechanism. That was not his prayer life. It was the way that he did things. It was a consistency. You're looking for peace? There, like I said, it's not hard. I should say, it's not complicated. It can be hard. But it's not complicated. This guy was faithful to God, period. He just was. Do that. Go and do that. Pay careful attention also to what Daniel is doing and where he's doing it because a large portion of the remainder of Daniel is inspired by the prayer sessions he has inside that room. In fact, in some cases, it is in that room that he receives the vision or the dream or whatever, and writes it down in chapters—not chapter seven, but other places. He receives these visions. He's in there praying. In some cases, for weeks at a time, and then all of a sudden, an angel comes to him and gives him this revelation. And we're going to consider some of those things as we go through the rest, rest of Daniel. So, but anyway, notice what happens. Verse fourteen: the king realizes that he's yes, God for a month, fool for a major fool for a day, because his best guy is going to be taken out by, the, by his own signature. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, that is that they caught Daniel praying, he was deeply distressed and set his mind to delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting him. Remember, they die at sunset. He kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then the men come in agreement in verse 15 and said to him, O king, O king, recognize That it is the law of the Medes and the Persians, even though you signed it, 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 this is the rule of law, not the rule of despots. And that a no injunction or statute, which is the king establishes, may be changed. Verse 16, then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast in the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of the nobles, so that nothing might be changed in regards to Daniel. This is not some simple execution of some insurrectionist and some regular person. This is one of the top guys in the whole nation. They're killing that day, supposedly. So it's a big deal. King's there, all the officials there, they seal it, it's it's different, and, and by the way, the, just to let you know that these were real lions, there's some teachers out there that say, well, they weren't actually real lions, well, what, you know, what, what, okay, they were fake lions, what is that? These are real lions, lions dominated the Africa and the southern part of Asia up until fairly recent centuries. Evidence all the way through the scriptures, through writings of people, all the way to India. Lions were all over the place. I know we still have tigers in India, but they were lions and cheetahs and other things, very similar to the, the flora and fauna of Africa, was, this, was, a, was the Saudi Arabian Peninsula in the Middle East. Lions were a part of that flora and fauna. Uh, they would take these lions, and by the way, probably not one or two, and not even 10, maybe like 30. They would catch them and put them, they would build these pits, they would hollow out rocks. They found, by the way, archaeologically, they found several places, not only in Babylon, but also Nineveh, and I believe parts of parts of uh, uh, Italy, different places where the Romans ruled, North Africa, different places where they have found these places either hollowed out in the ground, they would line it with rocks, or they would dig out actual, chisel out rocks, and make this huge pit. They would put a wall down the middle of it. And with that wall, in the middle of the wall, they would have a big gate or a big door that was able to be closed and open from the top so that you wouldn't get, couldn't get down there with the lines. You could close and open, and what would happen is you would have lines in the pit. You would throw food on one side with the door open, so all the lines would go to that side. You would close the door, and you're able to go to the other half and either clean it or put a victim in there. And then when you climb out, leaving the victim behind, you would open the door and the lions are able to go in there and they would destroy and you would, you'd be able to watch from the mezzanine effectively of what's happening to this person. So that's more or less what's happening. One of my favorite renderings, artist renderings of Daniel was this picture. I don't know if you've ever seen it of Daniel down there. This course is a, this is not, we have no picture from this day. This is artist rendering. Here's Daniel standing with his hands behind his back, watching a bunch of lions who are unable to touch him because that's exactly what happens. But hey, look, verse 18, the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting and no entertainment was brought to him and his sleep. So there's no peace in the palace, but there's peace in the pit. Find it interesting. You know, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter, what. okay, if I get this certain amount of money, if I get this certain job, if I get this certain promotion, if I get certain things, certain people in my life, certain people out of my life, then I will have peace. No. There is peace with a person who honors God no matter where you are. There was peace in the pit, but not in the palace. Verse 18. They went off, he he's, doesn't sleep. Verse 19. Then the king arose with the dawn and the break of the day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near to the den den to Daniel till he cried out with a troubled voice. And the king spoke and said, Daniel, the servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel spoke, from, from, spoke to the king, oh, king, live forever. Like I said, you don't just say, hey, king, thanks. You have to say, oh, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Notice there's the angel. And they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, that being God, and also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. The king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury was found on him because, notice, he had trusted in his God. So that's a beautiful story. It's an amazing story. I mean, I've known this story from, I don't know when I learned this story. Been in church my my whole life, gratefully. And but, but let me ask you this, because I, I want to I pose a, a, a separate side to this, possibilities. So he was delivered because he had trusted in God. Are there those that trust in God that are not delivered? Yes. So, so what changes other than obvious reasons, obvious things? What changes if Daniel's eaten by the lions? So, so he's delivered in... In the sense of the way he would have prayed and I would have prayed. Please, God, don't let these lions touch me. But he's delivered only to do what? Go back and serve the Persian kingdom for who knows how much longer. It's already 90. He's delivered to go back and serve. Or if he's eaten by the lions, where does he go? To heaven. He wins either way. You see, but but why is he a winner? Because he's tied to the winner, right? That's all faith is only as good as the object of your faith your faith isn't something that's no good then you're no good your faith is no good your faith is tied to the one who delivers either way listen either way he's rescued either way he's delivered the person who places their faith in the lord wins either way if i live i win if i die i win because that's how good God is and that's how powerful God is. But I want to back up and consider just in closing the interesting that Darius can't find peace in the palace. To me, this, well, the story of Daniel, that picture is an illustration of this in Philippians chapter four. Some of you have this as your favorite verse, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. You think God, he wasn't praying down in that pit, oh boy. And notice the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, I would say this is an occasion, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ, surpasses understanding. How does this man, knowing that the lions are the inevitability, still go up to his room and pray? Because. Because. Because that's the, that's the kind of he, he knows. This is before it's ever written, but this principle is still the truth. true. Still true. Still true. Before Philippians ever comes about, Daniel still knows it's still the principle. God can be trusted. God, a person that honors God's life, God will honor him. Whether he lives or dies, God's going to honor him. Whether he lives or dies, he's still delivered. He's still saved. And that that peace that comes as a result of that cannot be explained and cannot be understood except for the one who's sitting in there. Daniel can just simply say, you know what? I was total peace. Don't ask me. Don't tell me how. I can't tell you. But it was awesome. I'm just fine, King. I'm just fine. I, I'm, you may be familiar, some of you may be familiar with, uh, I'm going to take it back to our picture, Daniel, just because I love it. Somebody familiar with Lee Strobel? Anybody? Lee Strobel? Lee Strobel is famous for two things. He's famous, first of all, because he's a pastor now in Texas. He's a pastor several, uh, several other places. Lee Strobel is a big author, big pastor, big teacher. Uh, but he's famous originally because he came from such a different background. He was, he was a devout atheist, according to his own testimony. Worked for the Chicago Tribune. Part of his testimony, in fact, coming to Christ, was the experience he had dealing with a family there by the name of the Delgado family. Delgado family was a family he was sent to interview. They were part of a, an entire housing project that had burned, Section 8 housing project that had burned. A number of people had died, been injured. Everybody there, though, lost everything. And so the people that once that had survived or had gotten out, they moved them to another Section 8 housing. And he had gone there to interview these, this particular family to find out what life was like. He was writing a big article in the Chicago Tribune. And so he goes on there and begins to speak to the Chicago, this, this, these people here in in Chicago, the Delgados. And he said, the first thing I noticed when I walked in the place is the nothingness of this place. There's nothing, no furniture, like the entire living room is just carpet, Nothing there, not a piece of paper, not a book, of course, no couch, no chair, no nothing. Five members in the, in the family, and in the kitchen is this small little table with only two chairs. Nothing on the counters, nothing in the bedroom, but one mattress on the floor. He said, I was just impressed with the, comp- they, I mean, he says, when it says that they lost everything, he says, these people lost Everything. they probably share, and he said, I didn't look in the cupboards, but they probably share in their own cups and cups and saucers and, and uh, forks and knives between, between the five of them. He said, but I began to interview them, and think, well, they were such happy people. He said, it was really weird. So I began to ask him why they were happy. Oh, because we're trusting God, that God, God has been faithful to us. He was thinking, how is this God being faithful to you? How does this interpret into faithfulness? He said, because God allowed us to live. We still have each other. We still, my husband still has his job. We still have our kids. The stuff can be replaced. God is being faithful to us. God's going to deliver us. God's going to provide for us. We know that he is. He's been faithful to us so far. He's going to continue to be faithful to us. He said it was interesting after that interview. He said, of course, I have to interview as an unbiased person. Of course, I'm very biased. He said, I was a devout atheist. And I thought these people are nuts and crazy. But he said, I went home and started thinking about it. Started thinking, they have nothing. And yet, as far as they're concerned, their lives are full he says, I have the exact opposite. He said, I had it where I had all the material blessings that I could possibly come up with. And if I had to come up with another thing, I'd have went and bought it. But he said, my life was as empty as their apartment. He said, it was just weird how just I felt so strange, so, so different from them. He said, this was six months before Christmas and life got strong for me. And lots of stuff happened between that time and, and the other. He said, I went on to bigger and better things. But he said, Christmas started coming around. I started thinking about the Delgado family. I thought I would do a follow-up article just to see where they were. So I go in and interview them. He says, the first thing I notice when I walk in there is that you can't even see the walls for the stuff they've got. Some, when he wrote that article back in June, somebody had figured out who they were and began putting out the information saying the Delgado family, they're an awesome Christian family. Let's bless them. He said they had at least two of everything, two couches, two sets of china, two sets of silverware, two sets of pictures, two sets of every two sets of beds. The house was just like you had to go through in aisles. He said there was so much. And, and of course, the people were standing there. He said, I expected them to say, God has blessed us and God has provided for us. He said, but what they said next is what I didn't expect. God has blessed us. God has provided for us. And he says, Mrs. Delgado, her name was uh, Perfecta. He said, Perfecta said to me, and we're about to give this almost all of it away. He was like, what? So you've gotten all this, and then now you're gonna, she said yes. She said, this is what Jesus would have us do because she said, even though we have been blessed so much and you've come down this article and God has used it as an avenue to bless us, the people that were in the building with us have gotten nothing. We cannot live with this abundance knowing that they don't have and so we're going to equal things out here. We're going to just, we were doing fine before. We're going to do fine now. We're going to make sure that everybody's blessed. And then he said, so this was a huge blessing. She said, yes, she said, this was a huge blessing, but she said, not as great as a blessing that's coming in two weeks. I think in two weeks, she said, yes, December 25th, the Lord sending his son, Jesus. That is our blessing. We didn't deserve, we didn't deserve this stuff. We didn't deserve that stuff, but God is so good to us, he said. He said, that was one of the first steps I ever took toward coming to God because he said, I went home that Christmas. He said, it's, it's one of the hardest holidays as atheist is Christmas, of course, and Thanksgiving. Who do you think? I, I went home that Christmas thinking they have everything that I want, even though I have all the stuff in the world. He says, they have peace that I cannot explain. And he said, it began to take me to places where, you know, of course, like I said, now he's a pastor. Now, of course, he's a believer. And uh, the understanding of that peace, the the peace that that Daniel experiences, losing everything, at least supposedly, seemingly, but yet he already had. What he had in the lion's den is what he had outside of it. What he had before he went in, what he had afterwards, he still had. All he had was a relationship that he had with God and the faithfulness that he had to his God. And God is going to honor him whether he lives or dies. God is going to honor a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who lives that way. So where is God in your life today? Is he first? Do you, tr- do you really trust him? Do you really trust him? Is there just 911 praying going on in your life and you're wondering where the peace is? There, is? there is maximum peace out there available, but you're going to have, it's not rocket science. Keep your nose clean. Faithful to your God. First. Make him First. You'll find out who he really is. Clamoring, loves to bless, loves to honor, loves to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are completely his. But you're just half hearted, quarter hearted. Well, that's why you're seeing the results you're seeing. I want to ask you, please, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me, and we're going to come to a time of conclusion, a time of invitation. What a faithful man, but just a man, a simple life. A simple life that God exalted, a simple life that God used powerfully because he was faithful. God, we want to be faithful to God, I pray that as a result of what we've heard and seen today, that we would say to you, God, we want to trust you. God, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our families We trust you with our jobs and our circumstances. We trust you with our finances. We trust you with our needs. We trust you, God, with these requests and and issues and troubles that we have. We trust you with these things, God, because you're trustworthy. You're trustworthy, Lord. I pray that our trust would be demonstrated in our faithfulness to you, that we would find ourselves on our knees whether whether we feel that we need it or not whether there's a desperate need or not, we would be faithful to you. Faithful, God, because you're the same faithfulness. You desire to be the same faithfulness to us. Thank you, God, whether we live or whether we die. If our faith is in you, we win. Because you win. God, again, we just trust you today. We trust you with the things you're doing in our hearts today. We ask you to have your will, your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.